John chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 37, okay? John chapter 6, I'm going to begin reading in verse 37. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing at all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I'm the bread, of life. I'm the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him, as the living Father sent me. I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, will all, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. And Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. When many of the disciples heard it, they said, man, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do not take offense at this. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted by him by my father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Father, I thank you for uh, your word. God, your word is, is food to us. Um, Father, it's our bread. Uh, it's our life. And so, Father, I pray that we would receive the words of life today and that we would hear them and be taught by you, be taught by your spirit, and that, God, you would enable us to believe. And, Father, that we might obey, that we might follow, that we might uh, run hard after you. God, quicken our hearts, quicken our minds. Father, I, I pray that you would give understanding uh, where understanding is needed. And I, I pray that you give a full assurance full confidence, great hope in all that you have done, will do, and are going to do. Father, we ask for, for that blessing today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, losing things is really frustrating. Have you ever noticed that? Um, many, many of you have lots of practice at losing things, losing your keys, losing your phone, losing your wallet, 
Uh, losing one of your socks, how many, time, how many times does that happen? You know, you, you lose one of your socks or uh, we were driving down the highway one time and lost a headlight, just came right off our van. Um, Hannah just picked her up at the airport uh, about a month ago and uh, we got away from the airport going down Meridian and realized we lost her phone in the airport. Um, probably the worst loss we ever had. And I've told you this story before, but um, we were having a birthday party at Crystal Beach and we packed up all, all of our stuff and all the kids and we drove off and we drove across town. I live on the other side of town from Crystal Beach and we got to our house and we were pulling in the garage and the garage door came open and Addie says in the back seat, where's Avery? At this time, Avery was just little. She was uh, you know, probably like a toddler. She was older than a toddler. She was probably like, I don't know, kindergarten, somewhere in that neighborhood, four or five, you know, and we had lost her at Crystal Beach. And, and so fortunately, we knew a, a young youth there uh, named Doris. What was her name back then? Doris French. Uh, she's in our church now. We called her. She answered. She found her. We got back there. All was fine, except she keeps bringing it up. Um, that's the only thing. But it's frustrating to lose things, right? And, and, and one of the things you learn in life is not to entrust important things to someone who has a habit of losing things. Asher is at the age right now, I hope he grows out of it, but he's at the age right now where he has about a three-second attention span. And so literally you can give him his shoes and say, go directly to your bed and put them in your, Emma's got a little cloth box for him that all of his shoes go in. Go put your shoes. And literally he will walk five steps away. He has no idea what you just told him. And he has no idea where he put his shoes. And because of that, we can't ever find Asher's shoes. I mean, it's a problem. It's one of the biggest struggles and obstacles in life right now is finding Asher a pair of shoes, okay? And because of that, we know that. He knows that, actually. Because of that, we never pull up to Walmart uh, to go shopping and lock the Honda and everybody gives out. I never throw the keys to Asher and say, hey, man, can I hold these? You know, I just don't ever do that. Like, that, that would be a silly thing to do. You don't entrust uh, precious things, important things to folks who lose stuff all the time. Well, the thing that John chapter 6, there's a bunch of things in this passage, but the thing I want you to grab onto is that Jesus doesn't lose anything, okay? We, we are talking about a man, the resurrected Jesus Christ, and he doesn't lose anything. More specifically, he does not lose anyone. Isn't that wonderful? Jesus doesn't lose anyone, okay? He's talking about people here in verse 30. You guys, if you are here last week, last couple weeks, we've talked about this bread of life passage, how Jesus is the bread of life. And in verse 37, he says, all that the Father gives me. He's talking about people. He's talking about souls. He's talking about believers. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He says, I will never cast out. And then go down to verse 39. He says, this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing. He's not talking about keys. He's not talking about phones. He's not talking about shoes. He's talking about people. He's saying, those are the Father has given, those who have believed, those who have repented, those who have been joined to Jesus, Jesus says, I'm not going to lose one of them. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me. Rather, he says, I'm going to raise it up on the last day. Okay, he's talking about the resurrection. He's talking about that those who are his, you may physically die. Your body may stop working, but you are not lost. You are joined to the resurrected Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that to be absent from the body is to be present from the Lord. And so you're, you're joined to Jesus in his resurrection life. And so you go to be with him in, in glory until the time when, when the trumpet sounds and Christ returns and there's a resurrection of the dead and you're made new and you have a new body and you live in a new heavens and new earth with him forever. And so he's not going to lose anybody. And in verse 40, 
Notice what he says in verse 40. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I, again, he says it again, I will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 44. He says in verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Look at verse 54. Uh, verse 54, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood is eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is adamant, okay? Whenever you find something occurring over and over again in a passage, you know that he is emphasizing something here. The thing that he is emphasizing is that he won't lose anybody. Now, there will not be one who is lost. There will not be one who slips through the cracks. But rather, anybody who belongs to Jesus, anybody who is connected to Jesus, is going to make it all the way to glory. The beautiful thing about this morning is, if you are joined to Jesus Christ, he's not going to lose you, okay? He's not going to lose you. You're going to make it all the way to glory. Theologically, this is called a doctrine called the perseverance of the saints, okay? Uh, I don't know if you use terms like that, but that's the, that's the term that I, 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 I prefer. Um, there, there's other words or other phrases that people use for this um, that I don't like as much. Uh, when I was growing up, I, I would hear people talking about once saved, always saved, okay? I do not like that phrase, all right? I, I'm not saying it's not true, but, but, but I'm saying I don't like it. I, I, I don't like it because it has unintended connotations, unintended consequences. People use it and abuse it and have used it and abused it to such an extent that it means different things to people. Okay, in, in fact, uh, the, 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 one of the, the things that sticks in my memory is I was visiting a man uh, uh, who was connected with our church, and, and he had kind of fallen into sin. He'd fallen off the rails spiritually. He was not where he ought to be, and he knew that. And, and, and I visited him, and, and, and I confronted him. I said, hey, man, I, I love you. I care about you, man. What's going on? You know, I've been praying for you. It breaks my heart, you know. And, and, and he said, oh, pastor, don't worry about me. You know, I, I know I'm saved, and once you're saved, you're always saved, Okay. And that was greatly disturbing to me because he was not at that moment repenting, okay? Now, if, if at that moment he had been like, you're right, man, I am, I am turning back away from sin and turning back to Jesus, and you know, okay, that would have been okay. But what he was saying is, hey, I'm gonna go ahead and throttle out here in my sin a little while, but don't worry about me because once you're saved, you're, and I, I just don't like the phrase. I, 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 just, I feel like it's been so abused in our, in, our, in our Christian culture that it doesn't really work anymore. It, it, it's not a good phrase to describe what Jesus Jesus is describing here that he won't lose anybody. So I, I like the phrase perseverance of the saints because what it, what it implies is that those believers, those who are truly his, will persevere. They will keep believing. They will keep obeying. They will keep following all the way to the end. All right? So as we look at this passage, I know there's a lot of things we could look at here, but the thing I want, to, I want you to focus on is that Jesus doesn't lose anybody, all right? He doesn't lose anybody. He's not like us. He doesn't forget about you and leave you at the park, okay? Like, he doesn't do that. He doesn't lose anybody. Now, some of you are going to raise your hand. Some of you know the Bible. And you're going to raise your hand and say, well, hold on here. What, wasn't there one of the disciples that didn't make it, you know? You're absolutely right. His name was Judas, okay? So what do we say about Judas? Well, let me, let me take you through some scriptures here. So John chapter 6, did Jesus lose Judas? That's the question we need to ask real quick. John chapter 6, verse 7, he says, uh, Jesus answered them, did I not choose you, the 12, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke this, spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the 12, was going to betray him. 
All right, so Jesus is, is saying this here in John chapter 6 at the beginning of his ministry. Remember, we kind of just started Jesus' ministry here. There's a whole bunch of things that have to take place. Judas is going to go ahead and minister and preach and handle the money all through the gospel of John, all through Jesus' earthly ministry. He doesn't fall away until the very end. But what does Jesus say about him right here in John chapter 6? Yeah, he's not one of us, right? He's not one of us. If, if you need more evidence of that, in John chapter 13, John chapter 13, verse 18, Jesus says of Judas, I am not speaking of all of you. Okay, so he's given some promises, but he says, I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. He's talking about Judas. If you go to John chapter 17, during Jesus' high priestly prayer, in verse 12, John 17, 12, he says, while I was with them, I kept them. He's praying to the Father. He says, while I was with them, the disciples, he says, I have kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them. Okay, that, that's kind of the point we're making with this passage is Jesus is not going to lose anybody. He's actually going to guard them. But notice what he says about Judas. I have guarded them and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction. That's what he calls Judas, that the scripture might be fulfilled. All right. So, so uh, here, here's what we can say definitively from the gospel of John is that Judas wasn't a believer. Okay, he was never joined to Jesus, all right? So there's a category of people who are associated with the people of God. They're affiliated with the people of God. They, they, they claim to be the people of God, but they're not really the people of God. They're, they don't really love Jesus. They don't really believe. They're not really followers of Christ. They have other motives. They have other, other designs. There's other things going on than a genuine connection to the Lord Jesus Christ, okay? So Judas never belonged to Jesus. Now, you might be saying, well, man, that, that, that was Judas, but that's probably an exception because, you know, the Old Testament even talks about that guy, right? But, but what, about just, what about just people, regular folks like us, you know, who, who start out in the faith and then they're, they're tempted and they're tired and their tragedy hits, they get disillusioned, they get busy, they get discouraged, they get deceived and they fall away. What, what about those people? Well, John talks about them actually in one of his letters, okay? So the guy that's writing the gospel of John talks about that situation in 1 John chapter 2. This is a really important verse when, when thinking about how do I think about people who, who were once followers of Jesus, but then pretty soon they spin off and they, they take off and they, they, they don't come back. What, what do we think about them? Well, 1 John 2.19 says this. They went out from us, okay? So they, they left. They left the people of God. They left the church. They left the, the faith, okay? That, that'd be a way to say that. But they were not of us, okay? For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. They, they would have persevered. But they went out that it might become plain, so may become plain to everybody, that they all are not of us. And, and so John describes those people who will fall away from the faith as never having been connected to Jesus in the beginning, in the first place, all right? Did Jesus lose them? No, Jesus didn't lose them. They were never his to begin with, all right? So one of the big foundational things that we want to get to this morning, uh, talking about how Jesus will not lose any of us, any, anyone who's connected, is the Bible is really clear that God is the one who initiates, accomplishes, and keeps our salvation, all right? So I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on this, but I want you to see God's hand in saving you, okay? So, so again, John, John 6.37 says the Father gives, gives, okay? John 6.44 says the Father draws. He draws people to Christ, okay? John 6.63 says the Father grants, okay? He grants faith. He grants belief, okay? So one of the things that, that we, we need to encourage people with, uh, th this is one of the ways that I use this doctrine often. So I'll be at kids camp here in a couple weeks, and, and surely enough, 
enough, we're praying, I hope it happens, there'll be kids whose hearts are stirred, right? And they're coming forward and they're like, I'm not sure what's happening, but like I really feel broken over my sins. And here's what I always tell those kids right away. I want them to know this. I know God is working in you. I know he's working in you. You know how I know he's working in you? Because you're coming alive to faith, right? You're having a desire for Jesus. You have a desire for spiritual things. You have a desire not to sin. Like that, that tells me there's good things happening. Like the God of the universe is, is, is working in you. This is not just, hey, we convinced you. This is not just, hey, you know, there was a fantastic guy speaking and, you know, he manipulated you into something. No, no, no. I, I believe that when people have genuine spiritual desire, that is evidence that God is at work in them. You know why? Because by nature, we're not like that, are we? Like all through the Bible, it says by nature, man, we're, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. By nature, you know, we, we don't want God. Romans 1 tells us that's our problem, is that we want everything but God, right? We're bored with God, and, and we want everything else. We want idols and money and sex and pleasure and, and fame and popularity and glory to ourselves. That, that's our problem, is by nature, we want the wrong things. We're not interested in God. So praise God for His work in us, the work of His Spirit to draw people to Himself, to open their blind eyes to see His glory, to quicken their dead hearts to love him, to pay the penalty for our sin through his son Jesus, to live a righteous life on our behalf through his son Jesus, to raise Jesus from the dead and join us to Jesus' resurrection life. Man, God is pulling the plow on this thing. That gives me great comfort, okay? It gives me great comfort that God is working. He is at work in people's lives. And, and, and how does he do this drawing? Let's, let's talk about that for a second. How does God draw people to himself? Well, of course, through his Holy Spirit. And we've looked at that a lot recently when we were looking at John 3 about being born again. But I, but I want to show you a particular aspect of this in, in John chapter 6. Verse 45 says, it is written in the prophets, okay? So the Old Testament prophets are saying there's coming a time when this is going to happen, okay? And they will all be taught by God. Who's all? That's, that's everybody who, who believes, right? And, and, and so if you're coming to faith, you know what that tells me? God is at work teaching you. Like it's not, it's not just the Sunday school teacher. It's not just your, your friend down the block sharing the Bible with you. It's actually God is teaching you. God is revealing truth to you. Verse 45 says, um, or 40, yeah, 45 says, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Everyone has heard and learned from the Father. So God uses his word to make people come alive. That's why the Bible is so crucial. It's so important. That's why you should be saturated with it. That's why you should speak it to your children and to your families because God uses his word to, to bring people to life, okay? To bring them alive in Christ. You know what I mean by bringing it alive? Like, like for 18 years of my life, I knew Bible stories. I, I had heard lots of preaching. I'd heard lots of Sunday school lessons. But man, uh, have you had this experience? Uh, when I was 18, man, all of a sudden, the Word of God just came alive in me. I, I, that's the only way I know how to explain it, other than all of a sudden, it went from being not important to being life, okay? It went from being, you know, uninteresting to being bread, all right? It, 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 that's what Jesus is talking about, man. I, I wanted to consume it. 
It, it was life to me, okay? That, that's the work of God in bringing about salvation, okay? I, I just don't want you to have this view of salvation where it's kind of, it's your idea, like you woke up one morning and just had this idea, man, man I think I'll go after God, you know? Uh, and it's all on your own and, and you followed up on it and you figured it out and you made some sort of transaction deal with God and, and you were saved. Man, there's a lot of you in that whole, whole scenario, right? Uh, and that worries me. You know why? Because I mess things up. I just be real honest. I mess things up. Like I, I do not, I, I, I don't want, I don't want a salvation that I, I manufactured. Now I got to hold on to it. Okay, that scares me to death. Okay, I, 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 have a, I have trouble building a birdhouse. Asher and I tried the other day. It didn't go real well. It, I mean, a bird could probably sit in it, not a heavy bird, but, you know, I, I mean, I, I just, man, you're talking about eternal life and I'm the one that's like, like doing it all and holding on to it? No, not at all. Not at all. How glorious this morning to know that God is pursuing us, that God is accomplishing something in us, and that the Father, and here's, here's the part we're really centering on, He keeps us in our salvation. Let me give you a bunch of great verses. Um, I'm, I'm giving the pro presenter people a workout this morning. Okay, Here's a bunch of great verses on God keeping you persevering in faith. Jude chapter uh, there's only one chapter. Jude 24 and 25 says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. I didn't have to read all that, but how can you stop? You know, I mean, isn't that great? To him who's able to keep you from stumbling. God, God is able to keep Jason Dirks with, with my old sinful flesh and my broken desires and, and my temptations and my fatigue. God is able to keep me from stumbling. Romans 8 is maybe the greatest passage in the Bible on, on how God is going to take care of us all the way to the end. Romans chapter 8. And so let, let's, let's, let's look at some really important verses here, okay? Romans 8, 29 and 30. All right, so 29 says, Those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice where that ends. It ends in glory, right? In other words, when God begins a work in a man, a woman, a student, man, he's going to finish it all the way to glory. Okay, let's keep reading. Verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Okay, the, the reasoning behind verse 32 there is simply this. If God didn't spare his son, all right? So if God gave you the most valuable thing in the universe, if God butchered his son on a cross to buy your redemption, why in the world would you think he's gonna hold back in getting you all the way? You know, why, why, why would he hold back in, in, in giving you the faith, giving you the encouragement, giving you the word, giving you some spiritual friendships, giving you a small group that's going to nurture and take care of you, giving, you, giving you, you whatever you need, conviction of sin, right? Sometimes a spanking. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. You know, that's one of the ways that God brings us to the end. He disciplines us, right? Why, why would you, if God gave his son to, to buy you into, into his family, why would you think he will not 
spare any expense in bringing you all the way to glory. That's what verse 32 is saying. Verse 33, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies, who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised, who's at the right hand of God, indeed is interceding for us. Isn't that beautiful? God, Jesus Christ is interceding for you today. He doesn't just save you uh, by, by his blood and his resurrection and then kind of leave you alone. No, he's actually praying for you. What does that do to your faith? What does that do to you today to know that Jesus is praying, he's interceding to the Father on your behalf that you make it to the end? All right, that, that's glorious stuff. Let's keep reading. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Okay, so what, what, what can tear us away from Jesus? Here's what he's, he's going to ask, all right? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you find something that doesn't fit one of those categories? I don't think you can, right? What is Romans 8 telling us? He loves you, he bought you, he sought you, and he's gonna carry you all the way to the end, all the way to glory, all right? Now let's go to John 10, all right? So, um, really probably should have made this two sermons, but I, I, I just, I wanted to group it all together. I want you to see it. So this is John 10 is, is, is another fantastic place where we see that Jesus is not going to lose anybody. All right. John chapter 10. And I'm going to start reading in verse, um, how about 26? But you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my father's hand, out of my hand, I'm sorry. My father who has given to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. All right, so let, let's, let's spend a little bit of time here. How do you know you're a sheep? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, what does John 10, 27 say? John 10, 27 says, how do you know you're a sheep? My sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. So how do you know you're a sheep? You hear his voice and you follow him. Right? Again, back to the word, right? You, you hear the truth of God and it stirs you and you respond. You, you hear and you believe. You hear and you follow. You hear and you obey. I mean, it's, it's a really great question. How do you know I'm a Christian? That's a great question that people ought to ask. Let me give you some wrong answers. I attend church when I can, okay? That, that's the wrong answer. How do you know you're a Christian? You attend church? Man, there's a lot of people that attend church that have nothing to do with, with faith and being joined to Jesus Christ. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, I had an experience when I was young. Well, lots of people have experiences. Um, were, were you at Woodstock? That's what I would ask, you know? Were, I, I don't know. Like, what kind of experience are you talking about? Uh, I, I've always felt close to God. I, I hear people say things like, oh, I've just always felt close to God, you know? Him and my teddy bear. Like, like, you see what I'm saying? Those things are not concrete, okay? How do you know you're a Christian? I've been baptized. Well, it's just water unless it represented something deeper. How do you know you're a Christian? I pray. I hear people saying that, well, I pray all the time. You know, listen, you, you don't have to be a Christian to pray. Uh, 
All of Islam, all, 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 all Muslims around the world pray three times a day. You know, I, if you've ever been to, to countries that are Islamic police states, man, the, the horn blows and, and, and the, the guy, dude gets on there, the caller guy, and he starts chanting. And man, all, all, they all flood to the mosque, down on their knees with their mat. You know, three times a day, there they go again. They're not joined to Jesus, okay? Those are not, those are not what the Bible says is the way you know that you're a believer. Jesus says here, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. They follow me. That, that's how you know. You, you hear the word. You hear the truths of the scripture and you don't buck up against them. You, you, don't, you don't think they're not important. You don't blow them off. You hear the words of the scripture and you follow. That Kind of the beautiful picture that Jesus is giving is, you know, it, how do you know if, if a certain... What is it, a herd of sheep? I think it's a herd. A herd of sheep belongs to a shepherd. Well, the shepherd's like, come on, guys. And there they all come, right? They, they belong to that shepherd. They're used to following him. Like that, that, that image would have been really clear for people in Jesus' day. How do you know that this group of sheep belongs to this shepherd? Well, they're going to they're gonna follow him, all right? And, and in the same way, John's going to say, that's how you know you're a believer. In, in 1 John, again, this is all the same guy writing this. He, 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 makes, he puts some, some meat on this. 1 John chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps my word in him, truly the love of God has been perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way that he walked. And so he's describing if, if you're a believer, how, how, do you, how do you know? Well, you hear and you, you follow. You know, you're, you're going to follow him. Is that me? Is that a bomb? Okay, if it's not me or a bomb, we're good. All right, John chapter 3. All right, John chapter 3, verse um, uh, 1 John. I'm sorry, 1 John 3, 14 and 15. All right, here we go. We know that we have passed out of death and into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not, abide, abide, whoever does not love abides in death. All right, so John, and he, he does a bunch of that in 1 John. He's like, how do you know? Well, you, you hear the word and you respond. And your life begins to change. And you begin to follow Jesus. And, and, and your life becomes, you know, like his, all right? All right, so back to John 10. All right, so how, how do you know you're a sheep? Well, you hear and you follow, okay? Now, what else does, was John, does John 10 say? This is a beautiful little piece I don't want you to miss. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. See that? I know them. Man, I can't tell you how beautiful that is to me, that Jesus knows me. The word, the word know, and if, if you've read the Bible, you, um, you've seen this over and over again. It's, it's an intimate word. He knows everything about you. He's intimately acquainted with you. He's personally interacting with you. That is incredible. Like, why would not Jesus delegate me to some angel, right? Like, I'm not very important, why, why would he mess with me? But, but he does. Not, not only does he mess with me, but he, he stays with me to the end. All right? The creator, the sustainer, the redeemer, the one who walked the earth and healed the leper and gave sight to the blind and raised the dead, that Jesus is active in bringing me all the way to glory. I mean, what have we seen already? He intercedes for us. And now he knows you. And he guards you. We've heard that. All, all those words have been said this morning in these passages. That ought to impact the way you live. You know how I know this? Personal trainers. 
it's kind of a big business now. We've, we've, got, we've got some in our church that are personal trainers. And, and you know what a personal trainer does? Well, they, they give, you know, they teach people how to work out and they teach them, you know, the proper way to lift and all that. But I, I'm telling you, here's, here's my experience. The, the best thing that a personal trainer does is when they exercise with the person, all right? All of a sudden, this person who really could, could before care very le- le- you know, couldn't care less about exercise, all of a sudden, they're really giving it some oomph, you know? And they're really going after it, and they're, they're really pouring into it. Why? Well, the trainer's there, right? Like, the trainer's there saying, hey, I've set aside this time, and you're going to make progress. Like, you're going to go forward. Jesus has said, I will be that for you. I, I will guard you, I will be with you, uh, I, I will speak to you, I, 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 I know you, I'm intimately, personally acquainted, I'm interceding for you. Let's keep going in John 10. My sheep hear my voice, I know them, they follow me. All right, verse 28. If you, if you are doubting whether, whether you're gonna make it to the end as a true believer, here you go. I give them eternal life. I give them eternal life. When you're joined to Jesus by faith, whenever you believe, there's a union between you and Jesus. There's, I like to call it tethering. Like you're connected to Jesus, all right? And what, what have we learned about Jesus so far? He is life. He's life. Life is in him, okay? Life is in Jesus. And so you're tethered to the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives you himself, all right? Eternally connected to Jesus. Now, what does that mean if at some point, if at some point I become lost? What does that mean? If, if Jesus gives me eternal life and then 20 years later I'm lost and perish, what exactly did he give me? Because it wasn't eternal life. You see, by the very nature of what Jesus gives implies that I will make it to the end. It, the scripture does not say he knows you and, and he gives you temporary life. It doesn't say he gives you a 10-year contract onto life. You know, it, it doesn't say he gives you life for a while. It says he gives you eternal life. And, and then lest we, lest we mistake what he's saying, he goes on, verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. Never. What's never mean? It means it won't ever happen, Right? Never perish means you won't perish this year. You won't perish this month. You won't perish 50 years from now. Never. 100 years from now. Never. 1,000 years. 10,000 years. A a trillion years. A zillion. I don't know if a zillion is a word, but we use it as kids. A zillion years from now. Never perish means you will not perish. And then to add to that even more security, he says, and no one, verse 28, 10, 28, no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father, he brings his father and has given to me, given, given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hands. I and the father are one. If you're truly his, you're gonna make it all the way to the end. Now, how does God do that? Okay, this is the important part that I, I want you to, to grab onto. Because a lot of people, when they hear this, they, they think, okay, God must give just some kind of like, hell immunity card, you know? And so you got your card and now you're just immune to hell, you know? And so you can live like hell, but not go to hell. I'm I'm serious. That's the way most people take this. No, that's not right at all. 
Have you seen those movies where like some villain has diplomatic immunity, you know, and he's like walking through America. He's like, I can do whatever I want. You can't arrest me. I got diplomatic immunity. I'll go to my embassy. And there are Christians that do that. They're like, well, you know, I went to Falls Creek and I made a profession of faith. And so now I'm just going to be as careless, reckless, apathetic, lazy of a Christian that I can possibly be. I got my card. I don't know where you get that. That's from movies, not the Bible, okay? That is not the way that God keeps you, that he perseveres you. Jesus will not lose you because he will keep you believing. He will keep you following. He will keep you obeying. That's how he doesn't lose you. My sheep hear my voice and they follow. In John 6, they, they hear, they learn, and they come. All right, let me, let me give you a bunch of scriptures. We're giving Nancy a workout today. 1 Peter 1, 3. 1 Peter 1, 3. It says, um, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. I'm excited about this. An inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. Now listen to verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded. That's comforting, right? We're being guarded. How? Through faith. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. How's God guarding you? By keeping you believing. Right? See, there isn't a version of Christianity where like someone stops believing, stops following, stops obeying, but they still got their card. <laughs> you know, so they, now nah, that, well, I don't know what that is. That, that, that is not Christianity. Let me give you some more. Jeremiah 32, 40. This is God speaking. I, I will make with them an everlasting covenant. Covenant's a promise. God said, I'm going to make you an everlasting promise that I will not turn away from doing good to them. Man, isn't that beautiful? What a promise keeper, okay? What a promise maker. I, I will never turn away from doing good to them. And... Okay, here's how God's going to protect that. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. How, how's God going to keep us together? Well, he's, he's never going to turn away from us. And then what's he going to do? He's going to change your, he's going to put the fear of God in you. How does he do that? Through his word. So that you'll never turn away from him. How about this one? First uh, Corinthians. First Corinthians 15. One and two, I'd remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, by which you're being saved. If you hold fast, hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. How about Colossians? Colossians 1, 21 through 23. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present it you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Here's the part I want you to hear. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. Mark 13, 13, the one who endures to the end will be saved. Again, how, how's, God, how's God do this? How's he keep you? He keeps you through the word, right? Remember John 6, 45, through the word. It is written in the prophets, they will be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. That the word of God is one of the ways that God keeps you believing, keeps you persevering. 
Hey, by the way, great application. What, is, what does that mean? One of our big responsibilities to one another is to speak the word to each other. Why? Because that keeps us going, right? It keeps us believing. Hebrews 3, Hebrews 3, 13 says just that. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called a day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Why has God put you in a church? Why has he put you in, in, in a fellowship? Why does why, why, why he, he command you you'd have spiritual friendships? Because we're to speak the word to one another, lest we fall away, right? God does this through discipline. He does this through other ways. Hey, let me ask this. It, and let me say this. If you respond to this doctrine of assurance with this sigh of relief that you can keep sinning, keep living in sin, rejecting God's truth. I just, I don't, I said it earlier, I don't, I don't think you're a believer. If, if, you, if you hear this, hey, Jesus is not gonna lose anybody, and you're like, yes, now I'm gonna go out and do what I wanted to do anyway. I don't think you ever had it. First, first John chapter three really clearly here says it. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. Keep on. Not, not that we, there's nobody in here that doesn't sin. First John 1 told us that. But keeps on. In other words, you, you don't repent. You, you just live in habitual sin. You don't respond to the word of God. That, that means you, you don't have Jesus. So what should our response be? Let, let me give you a couple, okay? What should our response to this doctrine be? The, the, this reality that Jesus is not gonna lose anybody. That if you're here, here today, he's guarding you. He's keeping you believing through his word, through his church, through the power of the spirit, through discipline. He's, he's, he's keeping you trusting and following him. He's actively, knows you, he's actively involved in your, in your, in your perseverance. How should we respond to that? Well, I, I, number one, we've got to say this, deep and abiding humility, humility. This posture of looking to God with deep gratitude and saying, you are my king. And not only are you my king, but you're carrying me. You're carrying me. Here's that old footsteps in the sand picture. I don't see that very much anymore. I used to see it like everywhere, you know? Every, every truck stop, bathroom, everywhere you go. There's that footprints in the sand picture, you know? It was like, you know, there's two footprints on the sand walking, and then in the hard times of my life, I noticed there's just one. Where'd you go, you know? And then Jesus is like, I was carrying you, you know? I, I, I would only change one thing about that. There, in my life, there's never been two sets. <laughs> like, you gotta carry me all the time, you know? I mean, from the very beginning, he's been carrying me. Humility. And pride is so thick in our culture. In fact, one of the, one of the big obstacles that I find talking to people about Jesus is, is this uber arrogance that is just normal in America. I, I can't tell you how many times somebody will be talking to me and they'll say, they'll say something like this. Well, I just, I just can't believe in God if he says this. You know, or if he, if he takes this cultural position, if he takes this position on this issue, I just can't believe in him. Like, do you, do you see the 
incredible wrongness of that statement? What, what is that saying? That, that's saying, I, I, I'm up here, you know, and I'm looking down at God, and I'm saying, God, if you, if you don't believe this, this, and this, then you, you don't exist. Okay, who's God in that equation? Well, clearly I am, right? Like I'm looking down at God and telling him how he's got to believe. And God, well, God, if you'll check all these boxes the way I think they ought to be checked, then I'll believe in you. I don't even know what that means. Like, like, and that, that's, that's the normal conversation of our culture is this feeling that we, we have the power over God to tell him whether he exists or not. I mean, it's so ridiculous, I can't hardly say it, you know? The doctrine of salvation ought to bring you to this posture of complete dependence upon the one who plucked you out of hell. You were running full blast for it. Just like many of you have had the experience of your kid, you know, your toddler breaking out toward the street after a ball and there's a truck coming and you grab them by the back of the shirt, pull them out of there. For them to turn around and say, Hey, if you don't do that different, I ain't believing in you. <laughs> that, that's silly. We ought to have a deep and abiding humility. And then second of all, this ought to be a sweet doctrine to those who see the peril in days ahead. Okay, so one of the kind of funny quirks about American Christianity is there's probably never been a people in the history of the world that had it so comfortable as us. And so that kind of adds a little tweak to everything. All right, so may, maybe th this actually might happen. It, it does happen with some people. May, maybe your life will be so easy and everyone for the most part will love and treat you so well and you'll be full of money and full of comfort and all your children will be successful and flourishing and you'll have a long and healthy life and, and you'll, you'll die in your sleep after fishing with your grandkids and eating your wife's famous pie, you know? I mean, it might happen. Like, it really might. Like, we live in a great place. That might be your life. Or, or maybe, more normally actually, your faith might be tested and you might be thrown into the fires of affliction and you may find yourself in a trial where you've got many enemies and your friends have abandoned you. Paul found himself in that. Jesus found himself in that. Your health may break. You may live with chronic pain. You may suffer bouts of depression and despair. Your mind may cloud. Your emotions may crumble. You may experience heavy blows of relational conflict and you may watch your family suffer. That, that definitely is the more common experience of God's people throughout history. And my friends, if that is the case, this doctrine, this truth that Jesus is not going to let you go, that he's going to keep you believing all the way to glory is like gold. See, that's when you need it. Imagine, I've I, I, I'll create a little parable here, okay? Imagine a child and a father on a trek through the mountains, fleeing some horrible danger and running to a city of protection, abundance, and joy, okay? So a father and a child, they're leaving the, this just devastating, horrific situation, and they're fleeing to this one place of refuge, okay? 
All right, you got, you got the parable? But as they flee, they come to a point in a trail where it narrows, and, and, and in order to get to the city, they've got, they've got to go past a sleeping bear on the trail, and then right after that, there is this 200-foot gorge, picture like the Royal Gorge in Colorado, okay, with this, this log that's fallen across, and you got to walk across the log over this, you know, devastating fall to your death, and then on the other side of the gorge, there is a steep climb handhold down a sheer cliff to get to the trail that leads to the city, okay? Now, you're the child, and you panic, all right? You panic. You're like, I can't get past the bear. I can't walk over the the log. I can't get down the cliff. I'm in trouble. And then your father, he says to you, he promises you, he says, child, I promise I'll get you past the bear and I'll, I'll carry you across the log and you'll hold on to me down the cliff and I'll get you to the city. Okay, if, you're, if your father promised you that, question, how should you respond to that? A, should the child run from the father? You know, should he be like, well, man, this dude's going to be easy. Should he go up and kick the bear in the neck, you know? Like, should he, should he just take it all for granted and say, well, my, my, my father says it's going to be all right, so I'm just going to live carelessly? Should he sneak away, explore on his own, walk across the log blindfolded? No. That kid should stay really close to his dad, right? He should reach up and hold his hand. Friends, you are fleeing a city of destruction. For you to stay where you are means eternal death. There are, if you're normal anyway, a thousand things attacking your faith. Your flesh, the devil, the world, suffering, persecution, distraction, sin, seasons of life, the drowsy effects of apathy, all of this threatens to keep you from finishing. These aren't imaginary threats. I've been at Lincoln coming up on 25 years. Do you have any idea how many people have started the Christian life among our ministry and then at some point quit? There's a lot. I was amazed the other day looking at the picture of my seminary class. Do you know how many guys started out in seminary and, and have not finished well? Well, if we need any evidence, look at John 6. How's this thing end? I read you through 66. After this, many of the disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. I mean, there was a huge crowd at the beginning of chapter 6. Remember? Jesus fed 5,000 men plus women and children. We, we estimated fifteen to 20,000 people. The next day, after the big feast, they, they were willing to get boats, charter boats, get across the lake seeking Jesus. And now by the end of chapter 6, Everybody's bailed out but the disciples. But what Jesus tells them here is, stick with me. I'll take you all the way. I'll take you all the way. I don't lose anybody. So stay close to me. Let's pray. Father, I pray that this um, doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, God, would be sweet in the ears of those who hear. God, I pray that we might humbly 
um, receive your word as, as the means by which you keep us believing. God, I pray that you would keep giving us your word and keep opening our eyes to see it and keep us believing and keep us following and keep us obeying. God, I pray that we'd not grow weary. I pray, Father, that we'd not get distracted. I pray that we'd not peel off in, in sinful directions. But God, that you would keep us and that we would show that we, we truly belong to you. Father, I ask that you would do this work in us today. In Jesus' name, amen.